We moved here to Mount Juliet, Tennessee about three and a half years ago. We have three very active boys. It can be a little rambunctious around here, but there's just so much love filled in our family and we're just so thankful for that. In January this year, we found out that we were pregnant with our fourth baby and we were just overjoyed. As soon as we found out that we were pregnant, we were so excited. We kind of moved all of the bedrooms around upstairs. I was very anxious to kind of go ahead and get everything started. So we, we did, we got the nursery ready and we bought an extra crib. Fast forward to March of this year, I went in for my OB appointment and it was supposed to be just a regular routine appointment. I was supposed to go to work right afterwards. I had work on my mind. I wasn't really thinking of anything else. And in my appointment, they went to find the heartbeat and the nurse couldn't locate a heartbeat. And I was trying to reassure, hey, look, it's technology. Technology fails, it could, could be an error. And then whenever the doctor came in and she did the abdominal ultrasound, as soon as she placed the probe on my belly and I saw the baby on the screen, I knew. And it just confirmed our fears. I immediately just asked God why. Why did this happen? I remember getting on my knees when the doctor left the room and I just prayed, Jesus, please let there be a heartbeat. Please let there be a heartbeat. I know you can, I know you can. It was devastating. But I remember also questioning, what's the purpose? Yet we still didn't know the blessings that would be almost immediately happening to us um, as soon as we found out. After we lost our baby, about a week later, we had that conversation of, we have this crib coming that we've purchased, it's bought and paid for, what are we gonna do with it? The easy way would have been to ask a refund. And we knew that out of all the circumstances, that would be an understandable reason. But I remember bringing it up to her, um, saying, hey, what if, what if we give someone else who needs this? We don't have use for it now. Even though it was a difficult time, we kind of already felt God calling us to say, hey, look, I can, I, I can turn this into something good. I'm Donna Pack, and I'm with an organization called Connecting Kindness. And our mission is just doing life with refugees and immigrants. And sometimes we see that kindness come from abundance. Somebody has a lot that they want to give. Sometimes it's hearing of a need, and sometimes it's from a brokenness that we receive. And it was a refugee family that came over and had nothing. They pretty much just closed on their back. The couple were 21 and 23. They were expecting their first child. I guess it was two days before baby arrived, we received the donation of crib. And we just thought, what better way to honor our baby than to share his his memory. It kind of took that weight off of them as well, and they were able to, to know that the, their baby will have a place to sleep at night. It was in a flat box. It was beautiful. It was unopened. We get a lot of donations of things that are gently used, but this was, was like you were giving it to the king. It was brand new. All those little avenues that God gives you and brings you, opportunities to be able to help someone else, it does help answer those questions of why. I went and baby Hannah got in the car and came home to her brand new, beautiful crib. You see that brokenness and then you see what comes from the ashes, um, that God makes something brand new and more special than you ever 
could have imagined. What the enemy meant for evil, God turns it into good. And if it's starting with being able to bless another family with the crib, then yes. We say thank you to Sam and Pedro for sharing their story with us. And that's what we're talking about in this series, Heart of Gold. We're talking about abundant generosity. And in seeing that, that video, it reminded me of a quote that Rhea and I have in our house. It's from um, Ugo Bassi, 19th century priest. He says, measure thy life by loss and not by gain, not by the wine drunk, but the wine poured forth. For love's strength standeth in love's sacrifice. And he who suffers most has most to give. And it's a reminder that at the end of our lives, we won't be remembered by what we store up, but we'll be remembered by what we pour out, what we pour out for God and for others. And, uh, and that's abundant generosity. And this past week, I was the recipient of abundant generosity in that um, we celebrated my parents' 50th anniversary. And, uh, and they, they said as a gift for their anniversary, they said, what we want is we want everybody to join us in the Dominican Republic, everybody to come and join us in the Dominican Republic in an all-inclusive, all-paid-for um, trip. And I thought, you know what, that's the gift I can give. I can give. I can give that to join you in the Dominican Republic if you're paying for it. And so we brought the, and it was amazing. There were, um, there were all 20 of us uh, my brother, my sister, their family, all of us came together in Dominican Republic to celebrate my parents. There were 12 grandkids, and we we had an amazing time. And it was a it was it was really it was just a beautiful time. My my dad said, "Hey, I'd love for us to play a golf course. There's a golf course in Dominican called um, the Teeth, Teeth of the Dog or something, Pedro de Dentes de Pedro." And um, I, I just, I think that's Spanish. If I said something else, tell me later. But, uh, but I was like, as my dad was like, it's a bucket list course for me. I want to play. And I'm just not that great of a golfer. And so we got there and we had a caddy and I had no business playing with a caddy. Caddy's name was Renee. He spoke Spanish and, uh, and I played horrible. And I just said, lo siento, lo siento, lo siento. That's I'm sorry. I think that's I'm sorry, but I hope it's not so I'm sorry. Cause I said it too. I think I made him cuss in Spanish. I don't know. I was that bad, but, uh, but we, we had this, this incredible Incredible time that, uh, that together as a as a family, and it was just it was it was a remarkable, wonderful trip. But what was even more remarkable was um, how it was how it was paid for, and that my uh, my dad uh, paid for that trip with Amex points um, that he has been collecting since 1986, and uh, he started a business in 1986, and he had 3.8 million Amex points that he cashed in for the trip to celebrate their. 50th anniversary, and I it was just this. It was it was like like he just poured it out. He just he just poured it out to celebrate them. And so I've never received that much generosity to celebrate somebody else's milestone. But it was there was just it was just this this beautiful moment for us to be able to to celebrate because the greater gift than the trip is their 50 years of marriage. It's the it's the sacrifices that they've made for one another. I mean, it's the daily saying yes to, to sacrifice, to serve, to love, and to pray, and to and to be poured out for for a call and for a cause that's greater greater than them. And so their their marriage is the greater greater gift. And it just reminded me again that in the end we won't be remembered for what we store up, but for what we pour out for God and for others. In Luke chapter 12, there's this conversation. There's a, there's a man that comes up to Jesus and tries to pull him into an inheritance dispute about what's going on with his brother. And Jesus says this. He says, watch out. 
Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. It's like there's a double meaning here. Jesus is saying life does not consist in an abundance of possessions, but life does consist in an abundance of other things that don't show up on a balance sheet or that can be put into a storage shed. Life does consist in abundance of love and of joy and of peace and of laughter and fellowship and relationship. Life does consist in an abundance of, of hope and, 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 and the presence of God and the peace of God. And like we're talking about in this series of, of gratitude and of contentment and of trust and of being poured out in love. Life does consist of those things. And we live in a world that says that, that our lives are defined by what we drive and where we live and what we wear and how much we have in the bank. And Jesus is saying there's more to life than that. There's more to life than that. And that's why he says, watch out. Do you notice how there was an exclamation point? So Jesus says, watch out. In the same way that, that, that said, watch out for a foul ball. Jesus is saying, watch out for greed because he knows the damage that greed can do to a relationship, that it can do to a marriage, that it can do to a family, that it can do to a friendship, to a business partnership, the damage that greed can do. And here's the danger of greed is that greed causes indifference to God and to the needs of others. And the hard part about greed is that it's easier to see in other people than in ourselves. Have you noticed that? Greed is easier to see in other people than it is in ourselves. Usually when it comes to greed, we're the last ones to see it. And so Jesus says to this man, he says, he says watch out. Don't be casual with greed because greed will take you out. And greed is not a financial issue. It's an issue of the heart. It's not about how much or how, much, how little you have. It's an issue of the, of the heart. And that's why we're asking God in this series, we're saying, God, would you give us, as a church, would you give us, each one of us individually, would you give us a heart of generosity? Would you give us a, a heart of gold? Because at the end of our lives, we'll be remembered not for what we store up, but for what we pour out. And so I want us to look today at a story of an extravagant generosity from John chapter 12. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to John chapter 12 if you're following along. And you want to do it in the Bible app, you can turn to John chapter 12. We're going to pick up in, in verse 1, and let me set the stage all throughout the, the first 11 chapters of John, we're hearing about the ministry of Jesus, the teaching, the preaching. He came, to, he came to show us how to love. He came to teach us how to live. He came to lay his life down as a sacrifice for us. And, and what we see along the way is are signs and wonders and miracles. And the greatest miracle that we see in all of the Gospels, I believe, is in, is in John chapter 11 when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. That's a big one. I mean, Lazarus has been dead four days. Jesus raised him from the dead. And uh, I mean, it just completely ruins the funeral. And Jesus, Lazarus comes back from the dead. And everybody begins to take note that, that, that Jesus, many are believing that Jesus is the Messiah because he's, he's conquered death for Lazarus. And Lazarus is walking around now. And so people start, people start putting their trust in Jesus. And this starts, this starts causing the religious leaders to be nervous because now people are turning to Jesus in the masses, and it's threatening their power, their greed, and their control. And so people are following Jesus. Even some of the religious leaders are now turning to Jesus as the Messiah. And it's, it's starting to make them nervous. So they're trying to figure out how can they conspire to put Jesus on a cross and Lazarus back in the grave. Because Lazarus is a walking billboard for the power of God. Lazarus is the guy who used to be dead, but now he's alive. And people are taking note. And so that's where we, that's where we set up in, in John chapter, chapter 12, verse 1. 
says, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with them. Six days before Passover, we're going to talk about Passover next week. We'll talk about what that's about. But it says that there, was a, that there was a dinner that was given in Jesus' honor. It's a celebration because how do you say thank you to the person that raised your brother from the dead other than a barbecue? So they've got this, this feast going on. They want to say thank you to Jesus. You raised our brother from the dead. And it says that Lazarus was sitting at the table. Now just imagine, what was that dinner conversation like? Lazarus is sitting at the table. He was dead. Now he's alive and he's sitting at the table. He's like, hey, Jesus, remember that time when I was dead and you raised me back? No, that was awesome. I mean, it's just like, the, how, how did that conversation go? And people are gathered around. They're like, there's Lazarus, the guy that was dead and is now alive. It was a celebration of life, which made me think of like baptism. That's what I love about baptism Sundays. Because on baptism Sundays, whenever anybody goes under the water, it's like a water grave and comes out of that water. It points to a greater reality that they, Christ has forgiven their sin. He has set them free. And in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. A baptism Sunday is a celebration of new life. And so that's what we get to celebrate, what God is still doing, where he's making people alive spiritually, where he's changing us and transforming our lives from the inside out. And it was a party for Lazarus. It was a celebration. But if you're in Christ, you need to know you are a walking billboard for the power of God, Amen. for how God can change and transform a life. And he's still doing that today. The power of God. Verse 3. And then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. They don't sell that at Macy's. But, um, but she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of her perfume, of the perfume. And one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief as keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. What we have here is one of the, 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 the purest, most selfless, most humble, most generous acts of devotion and generosity, extravagant generosity in all of the New Testament. And what John does is he intentionally contrasts Judas and Mary. He contrasts what's going on in Judas with what's happening with Mary. And so Judas is focused on himself and Mary is focused on Jesus. Judas is focused on getting and Mary on giving. Judas is prideful in his arrogance and Mary is grateful for what she's received. In Judas, we see the darkness of sin and Mary, we see the light of love. In Judas, we see that he sits in his self-righteousness and Mary is on her knees in worship. Judas sees a waste of resources. Mary sees the worth of Jesus. Judas prepared him for betrayal. Mary anointed Jesus for burial. Judas is, has indifference to God, but Mary has extravagance in her love. And Judas has a heart of greed, yet Mary has a heart of gold. And so John wants to show us, he contrasts the difference between Judas and Mary. And we've got a lot to learn from Mary. She is the, the hero of the story. Once again, a woman gets it right in the, in the Gospels. 
when men get it wrong. And so Mary is the hero, and in the act of devotion, she, she extravagantly pours out her love at the feet of Jesus. And then Jesus says something after this happens. We read about it in Matthew chapter 26, verse 13. It says, truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. In the end, we won't be remembered for what we store up, but for what we pour out for God and for others. And when I read through the stories, I've been studying the story, the question is, is like, well, then how can we be more like Mary? How do we rebel against our own indifference? How do we break the grip of greed? How do we see wherever there's any Judas in us? Like, how do we rebel against that? How can we live lives more of extravagant worship and love toward Jesus? And so what I want to do is I want us to look at three things. I want us to look at Mary's gift, Judas' response, and actions that activate a heart of gold. First is Mary's gift. Mary's gift. So here Mary, she comes into the room. Jesus is sitting at the table. And in those days, they would recline at the table. The table would be low to the ground and they would recline with their feet kind of out to the side because they walked everywhere in sandals and, and, and on dirty, dusty, nasty roads. And so they're walking everywhere. So when you're sitting at the table, you'd recline and you'd sit on with your left elbow kind of on the table, feet out to the side, eating with your right hand. And so this puts your feet out to the side because nobody wants somebody's dogs up next to their hummus. So you put your feet far away from the table. Well, Jesus is reclined at the table on his left arm and his right hand. He's eating with his right hand. And then what happens, remember, this is a celebration for his honor. And we don't know, did Mary, did she have this plan? Was it, was it spontaneous or was it something that she had prepared for in this moment? But Mary comes into the room with a bottle of expensive perfume and she goes to his feet and she begins, she begins to weep. She begins to worship and she takes that bottle of perfume and she pours it all on Jesus' feet. Now, we get the detail that the perfume is pure nard or spikenard, spikenard that is that's, that's made from, made from a, a root, an herb from, from northern India, which would be an extravagant gift. It would be um, an expensive perfume. In fact, it says that, that a, she has a pint, which is about the size of a, of, of a can of Coke, and she just poured it on his feet. We see the value is 300 denarii, which would be the equivalent of a, of a year's wages. Just imagine taking taking an annual salary and just pouring that at Jesus' feet. And so she, 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 she pours it out completely at his feet. And we get a detail in the text. What town was Mary from? You remember? Bethany. Now, anytime you read the word Beth, and when you read a, 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 the word of a city, and Beth is the first part, that means house of. So Bethel means house of God, and, and Bethsaida means house of fishing. Bethlehem means house of bread. Beth-oni in Hebrew means the house of the poor. So this is the poor side of town. So Mary is not giving from her extravagance, from her abundance. She's giving from a place of poverty. And she gives a year's worth of wages that had been stored up, most likely is her dowry. A dowry in that day is what a family of a, of a woman would give to the husband's family. It would be the gift that would be given. So Mary is giving her dowry, pouring it out to Jesus. So what's she saying? She's saying, Jesus, I trust you. 
I trust you with my future family. I trust you with my future husband. I trust you with the future children that I may or may not have. Jesus, I trust Jesus, you are worth everything. I can trust you with my future. Jesus, I trust that you are good. I trust that you will care for me. I trust that you were the sovereign king over the universe. So Jesus, I'm trusting you with, with my whole future. I'm pouring it out on your feet. This act of worship, it's extravagant. And she knows what she's doing. Psalm 99.5 says, Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool, for he is holy. Mary knows exactly who Jesus is. The word Messiah means the anointed one. And she is anointing him. Because he is the anointed one. He's the Messiah. He's the king. He's the prophet. He is the priest. He is the resurrected king. And she is pouring that out on his feet as an act of worship. And it smelled like worship to Jesus. It smelled like worship to Mary and to others in the room. It said the fragrance filled the whole room. It smelled like worship to Jesus, but it smelled like waste to Judas. Look at Judas. Look at his response. He objected, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages, he says. Now, John lets us know that Judas wasn't really concerned about the poor. What was he concerned about? The prophet. Because he tells us that Judas had been having his way with the money back. He had been dipping into the coffers. And so Judas had been, he had been stealing money. And so he wasn't thinking about the poor. He was thinking about himself. And John lets us know about that detail. And this is a reminder to all of us that what people say they care about isn't always what they care about. If you want to know what somebody cares about, don't look at their social media. Look at how they invest their time, how they invest their energy, how they invest their effort, how they invest their resources. It's like what Jesus said. He said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where was Mary's treasure at the feet of Jesus? Where was Judah's treasure in the money bag? And so this, this, this teaches us that, that another truth not just that what people say they care about isn't always what they care about, but also that eventually truth will be revealed. Eventually, what's done in secret will be shouted from the rooftop. Eventually, what the truth will be revealed. And Jesus gives a parable one time. He says, you've got to let the, the wheat grow up with the tares. What are tares? They're like weeds. He's like, you've got to let them grow up together. Because if you try to pull up the tares, if you try to pull them up too quickly, you'll pull the wheat up with it. And so in life, we have to let the wheat grow up with the tares. And eventually, It'll be revealed who's more like Mary and who's more like Judas. So you just, you, you, you give it time. And what we see is that Judas, he had been with Jesus for three years. He'd been a disciple for three years. He'd walked with Jesus. He saw all the same miracles, signs, and wonders. He'd heard all the great teaching. But at some point, his heart turned from God. And while he could talk the talk, and while he looked like a disciple, and he was around the disciples, his heart had drifted far from God. And what we find about this moment in the story is it's at this moment that Judas chooses to betray Jesus. It was right after this, right after this rebuke from Jesus, that Judas decides he's going to betray Jesus, that he goes and he figures out, he conspires on, on how, to, how to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. After Jesus said, let her alone. Like, leave her alone, Judas. Leave her alone. What she's done is a beautiful thing. And after this, and this just shows you how jacked up Judas' value system had become because he rebukes, Judas rebukes the woman for pouring out um, a year's worth of salary, $25,000, just to say, $25,000 at the feet of Jesus. Judas rebukes her, but then Judas goes and betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, which would be roughly $1,000. 
just shows how, how, how far he had gotten. And listen, we haven't been given this story to help us spot the Judas among us. Well, who's the Judas? We've been given this story to help reveal the Judas within us. To help us see where in our own hearts have we maybe been gripped by greed rather than the extravagant love of God. And some questions that, that can help us process this. Let me give you four questions. Just ask the Holy Spirit to help reveal and refine any of this in our hearts. The first one is, is there anywhere that I love my stuff more than Jesus? Second question, am I ever quick to criticize somebody else's worship or be outwardly cynical of somebody else's devotion? Number three, do I sometimes say or do things to appear to be more compassionate publicly than I am privately? Number four, do I get offended or defensive when somebody corrects me or offers a rebuke? Can I tell you something? I have never betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, but I've struggled with all four of these. And so I'm going through and I'm asking God, God, how... How can I be more like Mary in my worship and less like Judas in indifference? How do I move from indifference to extravagant gratitude? What can we learn from Mary to help us make a move here? Because what I want you to see is that Jesus loved Judas as much as he loved Mary. Jesus chose Judas. He called Judas to follow him. He spent three years with him. What we see is that, that Jesus, he washed Judas' feet. He fed him there in the last supper together. He shared the same dish with him. He says he saved him a seat right next to him. He shared the Passover meal. He served him communion. He prayed for him in the garden and died for his sin on the cross. Every one of those moments was an exit ramp for Judas to leave the betrayal and the indifference toward God and repent and return to Jesus. Listen, in his kindness, he has offered you exit ramps. Even today is an exit ramp to leave indifference and to return to him, return to his extravagant love. And, and all it takes in that moment of repentance is to humble ourselves and say, God, I'm sorry. And to return to him, to, to return to his love and to following him. And Judas, he just, he, he never took the exit ramp. He continued that path of, of betrayal, but Jesus loved Judas. And he was heartbroken over Judas because he loved him. And he loves each of us and offers us those ramps to return to him. And so how can we learn from, from Mary? How can we learn from Jesus who he poured himself out? He gave love, strength, standeth, and love's sacrifice. And the greatest sacrifice of all time is his life poured out on a cross for us. So what can we learn from Jesus? What can we learn from Mary to help us move toward extravagant love and generosity. The first one is that we would spend time at his feet. You know, whenever you find Mary in the, in the Gospels, whenever she shows up in the Gospels, she shows up at the feet of Jesus, worshiping Jesus, listening to Jesus, learning from Jesus, weeping at the feet of Jesus. Mary spends time at the feet of Jesus. And now we have an advantage. 
Jesus says, it'll be better that I go because when I go, I'll send the spirit that can be with you at any time. So now Jesus is not just limited to, to a body here on earth and at one place here on earth. He is omnipresent in that we can experience. We live on the other side of the cross and an empty tomb and the upper room, which means we have the spirit of God. Now we can spend any moment at his feet. And so we spend time, and when we spend time worshiping open-handed at his feet, it's, it's hard for us to, to contain our grip tight. You know, when a child comes into the earth, one of the, one of the first things that a baby does is grip its hand. And one of the last things that people often do before they leave this earth is they, is they grip the sheets. And so we live between the grip of a child when they're born and the grip of a last moment and a last breath. But let us not live our lives with a tight grip in between. And the way that we open our grip is we spend time at his feet and we say, Jesus, you alone are worthy. You alone are worthy of our praise. You're worthy of everything that I have. And it's through a life of worship that we learn to open our hands. And Mary, she spent time at his feet. And as we spend time at his feet, worshiping, listening, learning, weeping, we learn to open up our hands too. Number two, bring what you have to him. Bring what we have to him. Let me ask this question. What's the most expensive item that you own? What's the most expensive, most valuable thing that you own? Maybe for some, it might be a business. Maybe for some, it might be a house or maybe a car. Or maybe a, something that's in a bank account. I've been thinking about this this week. Most expensive thing that we, that we own. What would it be like if we brought that to the feet of Jesus in worship and say, Jesus, will you show me how to steward what I have for you? Rhea and I have this friend. Her name is Angie, and she manages condos. She's got a bunch of condos that she manages, and she built it into her business model that for every condo that she manages, a child is sponsored through compassion. And that idea came in a moment of prayer, and so she built a whole business model based on generosity and compassion and is now able to sponsor hundreds of kids as she does really good business out of that creativity. What would it look like if we just take the things, of, a car, he's given us a car, say, okay, how do, if you have a truck, you're probably already stewarding it for Jesus because people are asking you to help them every time they move. But a car, what would, it, what would it look like to look at our car and say, Jesus, how can I use this to glorify you? Or look, like just maybe, maybe there's amount of money that he's put on your heart to give and you're just like, and he's just saying, how can I use the resources that I have to glorify you? Maybe you're, you're 13 and you're like, I don't have much. Or maybe you have a phone. Maybe you have an iPhone. Like a $1,000 iPhone as a 13-year-old and you're trying to figure out, how, well, maybe it's just saying, hey, everything I do, on this device, I want to honor you, Jesus, and glorify you. How can I use this in a way to honor you? I remember when we did prison ministry, we had a food drive, and some of the, some of the inmates, they heard about it, and, uh, and they wanted to be a part, and they collected bags full of ramen. And if you're familiar with ramen in prison, it's like gold. But they gave what they had. I remember one time in student ministry, there was a, there was a girl named Lauren, and she got some brand-new Puma shoes. Those used to be the shoes back in the day. It was a long time ago. And she brought those shoes, and, uh, and she was like, I want to give, we were talking about some, some children in, uh, in Guatemala that didn't have, have shoes, and she took a brand new pair of shoes, and she said, I just want to give, I just, what does it look like for us to take inventory of what we have and say, how can I steward this in a way that glorifies God, that honors you, Jesus, that we sit at the feet of Jesus, and that we look at what we have, 
You go, how do I manage my business in a way that I don't? How do I manage my, my home? Maybe it's to open up for a group. Say, I want to host a group of teenagers. You put it on the altar of the Lord and say, I want to invite teenagers over to my home. What does it look like to take what we have and ask God to use them and steward in a way that honors him? Because at the end of our life, we won't remember for what we stored up. We'll remember for what we pour out. Number three, have the poor among you. Have the poor among you. When Jesus said, he said, you will always have the poor among you. I don't think what we have here is a divine dismissal of poverty. I think what we have here is an expectation that Jesus had that we would have the poor among us. And something that can happen is that we can find ourselves and we can insulate our lives in a certain way where we're only around people that are in our certain socioeconomic level in life. And no matter where we are in life, um, there are always people who have more and there are always people who have less. And we can insulate our lives from people who have less. And so I think there's an expectation, Jesus, that, yeah, we would have the poor among us and that we would love the poor and that we would serve the poor. And this is one reason why I just I think it's so valuable for us to have strategic partners in the cities that, that we can partner with to volunteer to serve. Because what we find when we're among the poor and we serve the poor, um, it's not that we get to bless them, it's that they bless us. And that oftentimes it's through them that we're reminded and through going on global trips that we're reminded that life does not consist of an abundance of possessions, but life consists of an abundance of other things that they have and sometimes we lack, like love and joy and peace and trust and relationships. And so we spend time around the poor, have the poor among us. And then number four, take the long view. Take the long view. They say it this way. They say the longer the view you take, the better decisions you make. That's true in investing. That's true in dating. True? Some of us, us like maybe you learned that lesson. The longer the view we take, the better decisions we make. It's also true in our generosity. That Mary, in that moment, she took the long view. That she looked beyond that moment and she looked to the cross. She looked to the resurrection. She looked to eternity. And Jesus said, when you give, you store up treasures in heaven. In other words, the way that we give down here, that we are saved by grace through faith, our salvation is a gift of God. It's a gift of the Father through our trust in Jesus Christ. But that there are rewards in heaven for how we give and how we live. That the way we live our lives impacts eternity. And we take the long view. And Mary, don't you think that Mary was remembered in heaven? for the way that she gave and loved extravagantly. And don't you think Jesus knew what he was talking about when he said, she'll be remembered here on earth. He said, whenever the gospel is proclaimed, she'll be remembered. Because our lives, in the end, will be remembered. Not for what we store up for ourselves, but for what we pour out for God and for others. My favorite moment in the Dominican was a dinner the last night. We were only there for three days. Um, but the last night that we were there, we had this dinner, and it was just, it was extravagant. It was out on a pier, and, um, and it was out, like, over the ocean, and uh, out on the pier. We were they, all 20 of us. I've never seen a table like this big. All 20 of us were around this table, 12 grandkids. We all sat around that table, and because it was out on the pier, you could hear everything. Like, it was just, it was just silent. And you just hear all the conversation. I thought, what a gift to my mom. I was sitting up close to my, my mom. And my mom, um, she, she can't hear in one of her ears. And um, you know, so she struggles to 
here in conversations at tables like that. But because it was so quiet, like there was a five, my five-year-old nephew down the table. He was talking and she could hear him. So she could hear everything that was being said. And the food was, the food was great, but what was incredible was being around the table together. And after we finished, after we finished eating, uh, my mom, she, she, started, she just started preaching. Like, I don't know, what just the Holy Spirit came on my mom. And she started, she started preaching and she started giving her testimony. She started talking about how when she was like 20 years old that she was just, she, her life was a mess. She was just, she was lost as could be. And it was through a miscarriage, through having a stillborn child, that her life was just shook. And that she cried out to God. And it was through that that, that she found Jesus and Jesus saved her life and just transformed her life. And it was through my mom finding Jesus that my dad found Jesus. And through, through them finding Jesus, that that's how their marriage was built, is they were both just sprinting, running after Jesus together, looking over. <laughs> They're both running the same direction, looking right there together, going after Jesus. And that's how their marriage. And what we were experiencing at the, at the table in that moment was the fruit of that decision she made. And I was like, man, my mom's like Mary. And that her whole life has just been poured out, poured out on Jesus' feet. Oh, man, I want this, like, for my kids and be around a table like this. Like, I was taking the long view. I was like, and then I thought, no, let's take an even longer view than that because one day we'll all be around a table. And I don't know what your family situation is, and I don't know what you've been through and the hurt and the heartache, but I can tell you that if you're in Christ, one day we will be around a table, and we will be with him in the marriage supper of the Lamb, and he will be the host at the end of the table. And he says he will wipe every tear from every eye. And that all things will be as they should be. And that our longings will be fulfilled in Christ. And whatever you've given up for the sake of Christ and for the gospel, you will be rewarded. And you will find that he is worth it. And we will worship him. And all of eternity is about him. As we take a long view, we see that table. And I can tell you, if you're in Christ, you'll be at that table. And those who have gone before us who are in Christ, they will be at that table. And if you're, if, you're, if you're not in Christ and you want to be at that table, well, good news, it's all-inclusive. Jesus has already paid the price for that, laid down his life for you to be at that table, for you to spend eternity with him. And so I want to lead us in a moment of prayer. And if you've never said yes to Jesus, if you've never received the grace of his salvation, then this would be your moment to do just that. And then I want to lead us in a prayer that we would all begin to move more toward worship in a heart like Mary and rebel against our own indifference. So let's start with those who maybe you've never, never made a decision like my mom made 45 years ago where she said yes to Jesus for the first time. And if you want to receive his forgiveness, if you want him to transform your life, if you want to know God intimately and walk with him all of your days, spend eternity with him, then you can pray a prayer like this. You can just repeat it after me. Whisper. Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. 
Today I receive your forgiveness. I turn from my sin and I turn to you. Thank you for saving me. I want to walk with you here on earth and spend forever with you in heaven. Thank you for bringing me into your family. So if you made that your prayer for the first time today, I'll be standing down front. Some of our pastors, leaders will be down front. We would love to receive you and hear about that decision that you're making encourage you in your faith. At all of our campuses, you can just come find the pastors, leaders that will be down front afterwards. And then, Father, I pray that of our church, would you continue to give us a heart of gold? Not a heart that loves the things of this world, but a heart that loves you. And today, would we take the exit ramp? We take the exit ramp of repentance, the exit ramp of intimacy with you, the exit ramp of extravagant love. Holy Spirit, would you reveal strongholds, places in our lives? Would you renew us? Would you revive us? Would you show us the things that you want us to do? And would you show us who we are in you? That today we would leave transformed by your presence. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Today we're going to finish this series with a song. It's been our prayer all along. I encourage you to sit and let the, let the band sing this song in prayer over you.
Jesus, our Savior, you hope. 